0: Blob Talk Radio. Blob Talk Radio.
1: Hi, this is Ellie, and welcome to the Bubble Hour. Well, we... oops, sorry, Catherine. Technical difficulty there. Um, no problem. You can go ahead and start off the show. It's <laughs> okay. I was waiting.
2: Jean, do you want to sing our little opening number here? Just to
0: ba-dum-bum, kick us off? <laughs>
2: I own it. I can actually I do play it that.
1: for you if you'd like. <laughs> that's,
2: that's okay. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Catherine, and I'm grateful to be here. And I'm joined tonight by my co-hosts, Amanda and Jean. Hi, ladies. How are you? Good. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jean. Hi, Catherine. I'm glad I'm I'm learning how to be more flexible in life. So, you know, I'm not freaking (laughs) out that we have this moment of imperfection. Like, that would have paralyzed me um, not too long ago. So, well, it's all (laughs) my fault. Don't worry. (laughs) Well, no. I'm not codependent anymore after after the episode that we did. I'm I'm working on it so I don't have to worry <laughs> about any of that. But tonight's episode is about the importance of service in recovery. Sometimes it's called SOS, Service to Others in Sobriety. And I see it as a continuation of our shows on willingness on March tenth of this year and ego on May eighteenth. And we're joined tonight by our lovely guest, Mandy. Hi Mandy. Oh, Hi. So just to kick it off, the concept of service has its roots in 12-step programs, but it is useful to anyone, whatever recovery program you practice. And I was curious to find that there is science behind this. A UC Berkeley website called Greater Good, the Science of a Meaningful Life, posts an article called Staying Sober Through Service which outlines the results of studies on the benefits of service in the general public and in the recovery community. It says, quote, For years, people have found that helping others can have a profound impact on health and happiness. According to a 2010 survey on volunteering, 68% of the almost 4,600 American adults surveyed said that volunteering made them feel physically healthier. 73% said it lowered their stress levels and 77% said it improved their emotional health. Almost all respondents said it made them happier. The article also cites various studies that focus on the impact of service on recovering alcoholics. Researchers compared helpers to non-helpers in a 12-step recovery program and found that 40% of helpers avoided taking a drink in the 12 months following the three-month treatment period while only 22% of non-helpers say it's sober, a doubling effect rarely seen in social science research. So why exactly does being of service work? In a relapse prevention article on Promises.com, the author posits this. Part of the problem in addiction is a self-focused mentality. People caught in addiction quickly spiral into isolation, selfishness, and aggra- aggravation with others for not meeting expectations. Getting involved in helping others breaks that habit and imposes a healthier, other-centered mindset. Giving attention to the success of others breeds empathy and breaks the bonds of self-pity. Being involved in helping another to succeed develops a sense of community. Being a helper builds positive self-identity and gives meaning to life. It is also useful in keeping the person alert to the dangers of relapse. Helping someone else stay sober, keeps the helper on his or her toes, and reinforces their confidence about how far they themselves have already come. So tonight, we're going to share our experiences with service, including what it means, how we incorporate it into our lives, and how it helps us stay sober. So I'd like to start by asking our guest, Mandy, to tell us a little bit about herself and her recovery journey. So welcome, Mandy. Mandy. Hi, Okay. like she said, I'm Mandy. Um, I've been in recovery now for a little under 18 months, I guess. Um, What brought me to recovery is I was just done. Like I knew that I was done for if I would have kept drinking. And I became willing and that opened the door and it was because of somebody else's service work that I became sober. So I'm really, really grateful to be a guest on this show for this topic. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. and I, I love that opening comment that it was someone else's service um, that brought you into recovery. So um, what exactly did that look like? Was that somebody reaching out to you? or? Well, I've been talking to one of, I guess he's, like one of my family's close friends and we'd been talking about like how I'd been drifting away from my family and drifting away from society in general really and he asked me about my drinking and because he knew and I knew but I wasn't really all that excited about admitting it yet and Mm -hmm. he knew somebody who was in recovery and she does, like, recovery meetings and whatever, and he said, he told me he'd give me her number, and he'd give her my number, and I didn't ever get a hold of her until I decided one night that I was, like, just helpless, and I ended up calling her, and she took me to my first recovery meeting, so, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so I, I feel like that takes us right into the heart of it. These, these examples of somebody really listening with compassion, and and it's, it sounds like that your the guy was not an addict or an alcoholic, not somebody in recovery. No. So that's that's yeah. interesting. I mean, this is really this is a topic for, I guess, the human race, right? <laughs> learning how to connect right. with other people. But also the service of the person who did take you to your meeting and making herself available. Um I mean those are just some really core examples of of service right there. Definitely. Amanda, do you have do you have anything like that sort of from early recovery that strikes you um, about yeah, other people's I mean, service
1: for you? Yeah, I mean I mean for me um I, well there was there was a bunch of things. I mean, I had um fortunately my best friend and my stepfather were in recovery and so they kind of guided me on what to expect from a recovery meeting, but I actually went to my first meeting. Actually, I had gone to a couple um with my stepdad. Um but I was before I was ready. <laughs> so it was more like okay, I, I was entertaining him but um you know they um explained to me what to expect and i went to my first meeting on my own though you know after i got out of treatment and um that was very helpful but the um walking in the door and having people come up and welcoming me when i got there you know to me that was the greatest service you know they made me feel instantly comfortable and you know they basically you know took me under their wings and and helped me out and um i actually um i didn't have a license for the first seventeen months I was sober, and mm-hmm. so you know one huge service that people did for me, which absolutely blew me away is people took me to and from meetings and you know I went every day and um and actually, after a, a five month leave of abs- uh five month five week leave of absence, I returned to work and it was um you know. I got rides to the train station to get to work and one was from a friend of mine that you know a long time friend and, and um the other was from someone in the program oh, we have an echo on the line um so i mean it really you know really blew me away that um the amount of that effort that you know, that all these people were willing to help me and it was actually really beneficial to my recovery that Um, Like I said, I went to a meeting every day, and I had different—I had some, you know, of the same rides, but I had different rides from different people, and so I got to know different people in the program. So their service was even more beneficial to me, just in the car ride. Wow.
2: And you know, I'm just thinking to myself. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that this show on service seems like a natural extension of our shows on willingness and ego. And just as you're talking, I'm sort of thinking back to, you know, very early in recovery, how my ego just demanded that I do everything by myself. So I was almost a little bit put off, which is another way of saying frightened of the ways that some people would reach out their hand to me, has anybody else had that experience where it was a little off-putting? Maybe that's this is just me. Mandy. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay, this is Mandy. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Like, I remember going to my first recovery meeting or, like, weeks following or even, like, online help or talking to people in general, like, just how – I don't want to say, like, adamant, but they were just so, like, I don't know. I guess it is that ego thing for me, obviously, and it's definitely out of fear, too, but it was just, like, so overwhelming how, like, into helping me they were because, like, I mean, I was ready for it, but I wasn't necessarily ready for it, I guess. Yeah. yeah I think, what do you I think, think kind of like, what opened up your heart to making you feel ready for it? was it sort of a slow unfolding or something break you open the being ready to be helped yeah i don't know i guess i just kind of saw over time like different people coming in and newcomers and like being able to help them too like i just mm. i guess it's it's still happening i guess like realizing that it, because I still need help, too, some days. Like, I still need to reach out, too. But now I know that, like, it's just it's how this works. Like, we all need each other, and we all... Helping people helps me, and when they help me, it helps them, and it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that we hear a lot in the recovery community, and I think it's worth emphasizing that by helping another person... You're you're also getting help, you know.
1: It's, it's very reciprocal, um,
2: you know, and how it works. Yeah, this,
1: this this is Amanda. I was gonna say, you know, when I first heard that, like the first ride someone gave t- to me, even they were like, "No, you're helping me more than you know." And I was like, "This person is crazy!" <laughs> like I, I was like, "What? What do you mean? I'm helping you by putting you out of your way to give me a ride." And I realized, like, with those bonds that I formed, you know, there's, there's they're lasting friendships. They're still my friends today. And, you know, the things that we would talk about, you know, even though I didn't have a thing to tell them about getting sober, for damn sure, you know, I needed to just shut up and listen to what they had to say. But, you know, I do have experience with other things in life. And so, you know, it, it is a two-way street. And just, you know, the the you know, like, the, like you talked about in the show at opening, you know, just the... Active giving service. I know for me, I actually had a woman. Um, one of the most. It, this is like it's. This is one of the biggest things that stands out in my mind in early recovery. I was like, I think I was getting my seventh month chip. I was at a meeting and I was actually on a commitment. Um, you know, sharing my story and you know, and then they did chips, and I I got up and did my 7 month chip. And there's this this little short older woman and she came up to me and she after the meeting and said i can't believe you only have 7 months i thought you had so much more time and she said you know why because you help people you're always reaching out your hand and i've never forgotten that and it and um and it was true it was because you know um if nothing else in in early recovery i i knew i really didn't have anything to share with people but i could you know, welcome people into a meeting like people did for me and it made me feel like I was doing something to get, to give back.
2: Definitely. And you know, the driving example is such a great one like that guy who said that to you, he sounds like it's he stayed sober that day. So being a yeah. service to you was an opportunity of him to stay mindful and active um in his own program of recovery, right? And so I'm curious, you know, Jean, bringing you into this conversation, what's the the role of ego here? I mean, the Promises article kind of talks about an alcoholic self-centered mindset. And, you know, how does service help you get out of your own head?
0: Um, Well, I guess I would, I think I can best illustrate it by contrasting it to what I thought service was before I got sober. So I'm. I was raised where we do a lot of for other people. You always help other people. You you volunteer. You know that was how we were raised, and I've always done that very willingly in my life. But looking back, I do think it was from a position of feeling like I have a lot of good things in my life, and I don't maybe necessarily I didn't feel worthy of it. So I felt guilty. You know, but just just to be born into you know, a Canadian middle-class family, that made me feel very fortunate. And why would I deserve that more than someone else? So I'm going to go and, and help others. Cool. But, so, so it came from a place of sort of feeling unworthy, which is different than feeling grateful or feeling humble, right? I, I was trying to sort of alleviate my own guilt. So in that way, it was sort of a self-serving kind of helping of others. And I also had this tendency to put myself in positions where I would help other people by sort of, here, let me bestow some of my fabulousness on you. You know. <laughs> I have a <it> together. <laughs> you don't let me help you. And I, I, I wouldn't say I was overtly like that, but I do think there was a little bit of that in my heart, you know, yeah. because it was really yeah. important to me that I looked like I had it together. And so I do think I was maybe posing a bit as as the good girl who, look at me, I'm doing good things, you know, I was I was scoring good girl points all the time. And although I did do good things, and I won lots of awards and lots of recognition for all the good things I did, I didn't receive the full benefit of the service I was giving because I was coming at it from the wrong place. So mm-hmm. once my life changed and I got into recovery, service took on a completely different meaning for me. And I think... It's it's just a new spirit of engagement of not of not being above or below each other, but hey, we're in this together. Let's link arms. I'm right beside you. How can I help you? And and in doing that you're both stronger, right? So I'm not reaching down and you know, knowing more than someone or being more wonderful and here, let me share my wonderfulness. It's, it, we're in the dirt together let's 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 muck through this together and figure it out and and I think that's the difference is that when you relinquish the ego and you go at it not from a point of I'm here to do anything for myself I'm here to just be present for other people and learn from them rather than bestow my fabulous knowledge upon others no I'm I'm uh, you learn from serving you learn from the people that you Help just by being together and just by, just by walking the walk together. So, so uh, me, it's a couple it's completely of, different. So, maybe
2: could you outline, and I want to get back to this idea of linking arms and how much that whole concept of connection and community just, I think, really terrified me for a long time. But maybe we can just kind of talk in practical terms when we say service. What are some of the things that we mean? So Mandy said a few in the beginning, you know, just listening to a friend and having compassion. I think that suffering, you know, makes us uniquely qualified to be of service to another person by having compassion. Some of the practical stuff like driving somebody who needs a lift, whether it's somebody like Amanda's describing to a meeting or, you know, just your elderly neighbor needing to go to the store to buy peaches. Um, you know, picking up the phone for somebody to to talk to somebody, um, being welcoming to a newcomer in recovery. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be sort of formal community service work, right? Can we think of any other ideas that –
0: or have I kind of hit on the big ones? Well, um, um, Catherine, you mentioned a story uh, right here on the Bubble Hour a while back. It It was that your neighbor saw you putting out newspapers, uh, at everyone's door, and yeah, right. And he he was like, "Oh, I bet that person's in recovery. That's a, yeah, a that, well, well, service-minded thinking." Yeah. yeah, that was Chris.
2: <laughs> he he was our guest on the Willingness and on the Ego um, shows, and he is my neighbor. He lives in my building, and <laughs> we were both leaving the house at a very early hour on a Saturday or Sunday, and uh, he saw me <laughs> doing that, and I think he thought. Why would somebody be awake this early and she's suspiciously putting newspapers in front of people's doors? That seems too good to be true. Um. <laughs> yeah. And we laughed about that quite a bit. Um
0: so I, I do think it is the little things we do for other people, but I think it's it's really anything you do with the spirit of connecting with someone. Just just for the purpose of of being kind and and being helpful for their yeah benefit. for
2: showing up right yeah
0: yeah yeah just really engaging can i can i tell you a story can we pause while dean tells a story tell
2: us a, a story <laughs> uh
0: Absolutely. i went to a religious high school so we had to go to chapel every every uh morning as was one of our classes was going to chapel and one story that sticks in my mind that that uh, someone told once at uh, one of these chapel services is one that that comes to mind as we talk about service today. So this is a Lutheran school, very, um, you know, stuffy, stuffy old Lutherans. And someone told a story about being in church one day and packed, packed church and everyone's singing the, the hymn and things get quiet just as the uh minister is taking, you know, going up to the altar about to give his sermon. And just then, uh, this hippie walks in. So this guy comes in in like bare feet, torn jeans, long hair, and he kind of walks around uh, the, um, walks, you know, down the aisle of the church, kind of looking at everybody, and everyone is just scared and silent because they don't know what this guy is going to do, right? And uh, He kind of walks up to the front and looks around And no one is moving over to give him a place to sit Because they're just not sure what he's going to do So he just plunks down in the center aisle And everyone is silent You can hear a pin drop And then from the back of the church Comes old Elder Borker You know, one of the stately old men in the church And he's got a cane And so he's walking up the aisle towards this fellow And you can see everybody is sort of relaxed because this guy is going to solve this problem. He's going to give this kid the boot, you know. So everyone's just quiet (laughs) watching him walk up the aisle, and you hear his cane go thunk, thunk, thunk. And he gets up to where this kid is sitting, and he pops down his cane, and he leans heavily on it, and he sits on the floor next to him. And he says to the minister, please proceed. And that, to me, oh. is the most beautiful example of service. It's just mm-hmm. meeting people where they're at and welcoming mm-hmm. them to join you and being an example for others in doing so. You yes. know, I think
2: and that's a really beautiful story, Jean, and it really speaks to the recovery community as well, because I think we hear this a lot on the show that, when we're first coming into recovery, we can sort of say to ourselves, uh, I, "You know, I, maybe I'm not an alcoholic because of I belong to a certain demographic." Um, a lot of our listeners happen to be women, happen to be mothers, and very high functioning. We hear that a lot. Like I couldn't possibly be. Um, and then when you get into recovery and you start opening yourselves up, yourself up to people. Such as you're describing in your story, you start realizing that the per- person whose life experiences are completely different than yours are you're still connected by this thing called recovery, um, right. and that's that's amazing.
0: Yeah, what a it really good story. Is, about... Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you like it. It stayed with me all these years. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it is true. It really is finding our commonality, what what holds us together, right? That's really what it's about. Definitely. Um, we lost Mandy and for a second. Mandy, are you back?
2: Yes, I'm back. Oh, good. You're back. Okay. <laughs> wow. So, thank you, technology, for being of service to our program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I also want to talk about um Willingness and how being of service and showing up for people keeps us willing to stay sober i mean mandy is is that something that that you've experienced in your sobriety journey? That's definitely something that I've experienced and um, I guess just like recovery meetings and doing sponsorship and all that stuff like I guess this is kind of a story too, but I'll make it short. um <clears throat> I was getting my one year at a meeting, and I remember being, like, I was happy and whatever, but I was like, what now? Like, what am I supposed to do now? And I was I was, like, at, like, at a loss. Like, I didn't know what to do. And I remember talking to one of the guys in the program, and he was like, now you get to carry the message and whatever. And just being able to show up and, like, you guys are talking about meeting her where she is and being able to work with somebody like somebody worked with me, like it, it keeps me willing to stay sober because it, like I have to show up and be accountable, so she can be accountable, and it's just all, it's just amazing. That is amazing, and it actually it it brings me back to then the point that I was thinking of when Jean was talking about when we link arms and form a community of recovery, which is exactly what you just described Of you know, carrying the message, helping somebody else get and stay sober, showing up, being accountable. I'm, I'm just going to say it. I didn't want to do any of that. I just wanted to stop drinking, and I wanted to stop suffering. And, the, you know, I, I kind of jotted down a note as I was prepping for the show that, you know, we've, we've talked about this. I've talked about how in my recovery I've really found myself opening up to making myself vulnerable and to trusting people. And someone told me, an old-timer told me, you know, look, if you want to trust people, you have to make yourself trustworthy. And not only did I not really get that at first, I was a little bit offended. Like, what are you talking about? I am a trustworthy person. Don't you know who I am? I'm, you know, Miss High Functioning Perfectionist here. Um, But then, you know, I realized that my – I didn't want to break promises to people, but I thought I was a trustworthy person because I didn't do that. But basically, that really had eroded over the years that I was drinking, The truth is, is that I didn't care what else I was supposed to be doing. And so I stopped making promises to help people so that I wouldn't break them. And that meant that I was totally disconnected. And then even when I got sober and I started meeting people in the recovery community, I mean, this idea of you mean if a newcomer calls me, like I should give them my phone number because they might call me in distress in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh, I I don't I don't think I'm on board for that kind of intimacy with other human beings. I just want to be here on my lonely island. Um so I just want to be real about that because that's really where I was. And so this idea of service for me has been an evolution. Um I mean, am I alone in that, or is, has anybody?
0: No, I. This is Jean. I I totally hear what you're saying. I I thought it was very scary because, really, what you're talking about is being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, and to maybe not have the answers, and to still have to try to find a way to help when you don't know how to help. So that's that's a scary thing. But how did it change for you, Catherine? Well,
2: I I think the common bonds um, item that was so nicely illustrated in your story there, that definitely happened for me where I just really started identifying with other people. Um, And then, you know, I realized that if I was accountable to show up for other people, it definitely had a very practical purpose in the beginning of keeping me sober because I didn't want to have to say that I was starting over. Um, And I didn't want to let down a whole group of people. So, you know, you hear about service in recovery meetings as being like, you know, washing the coffee mugs or making the coffee. And I heard a guy once at a meeting say that, you know, he – he didn't really want to be a part of this whole recovery thing, but they kind of gave him this coffee commitment and he said, well, then by gum, I'm going to make the best coffee I've ever made. And I'm going to show up here and I'm going to show them that I am somebody worthwhile. Um, And I think that was kind of me too. I, I started, I ended up, realizing that any time I had an opportunity to take a service commitment, just take it. And I freaked mm-hmm. out because, oh, actually, I know exactly what happened, how it really broke open for me. I, had, I kind of finally got established going to a regular meeting. So in, in 12-step programs, that's called having a home group. And I started going to the same group every day. And it came around time for them to nominate people to chair the meeting. So it was like, okay, it's Mondays. We're going to nominate for the next six months the two people who who will switch off Monday mornings. And Monday mornings at my home group are speaker meetings. And I thought to myself, please, I will take a service commitment. I will do I will be a chair of any other meeting if I just have to pick out a reading and do all that stuff. But I don't know anybody in recovery. I don't know who to ask to be speakers. I don't have any phone numbers. I don't know what to do. And I was just praying, please don't pick me. And who do you think? I nominate (laughs) Catherine. I second the nomination, and the whole place went crazy. And I was like, and I just – I could have said no. You yeah, know, I could have declined, um, but I didn't. So then the next day what I did, when it was my turn to share, I said, I have to be really honest with you that I'm freaking out because I don't like talking to people. I don't know anybody. Who am I supposed to ask? I don't even have phone numbers. I'm really frightened. I was, I was scared, and I didn't want to let everybody down. You know, this was sort of my perfectionism thing. I didn't want to be there and be this crummy chair and oh and I travel a lot and what if I'm not here and afterwards all these people came up to me and gave me email addresses and phone numbers and you know we'll speak and okay and if if you're traveling and you're not around you know I'll fill in for you and get a speaker and I hmm. and then I had this six month commitment and it went great and the gal that I shared it with did laugh because she's a self described old hippie, and I made a spreadsheet of like which day which weeks was gonna be my weeks and who was speaking and were they confirmed or were they indefinite and I had it mapped out. I had almost the entire six months mapped out within a week, so maybe that's where my like alcoholic thinking came in handy <laughs> <laughs> made me very controlling um but that really broke it open for me because I had to start reaching out to people. And then speaking is another uh, another way of being another of service. Being a service. Um, so, yeah, so that was my kind of little breaking open. Mandy, do you, did you have anything like that? I know you and I have had similar kind of coming out of our little shells. Yeah, um, I guess when I, I don't know, like, when I first started chairing meetings is when I started to get more into, like, service work, and I was really scared to chair my first meeting, and my, the recovery meetings in my town, or the recovery meeting in my town are is usually pretty small. Um, everybody knows everybody, and it was, just, like, I didn't want to take it because I didn't want to do something wrong or anything, but then, like, everybody met me where I was, and if I couldn't do it, they helped me, and if I needed help with something, they helped me, and I don't know, it's just, it's cool to break out of your shell and do it in service and have other people be of service while you're trying to be of service. And I think my experience has been that when I'm doing that, I have now internalized that whole idea of helping others helps me. So, mm-hmm. this morning, a, a person who has been um, sober for nine years but has not been doing anything actively to maintain her sobriety or change and you know change her thinking—all the stuff that we talk about on this show—and so she's found herself really in this deep hole of. Um, you know fear. And anyway, she said, you know, is there anybody available to hang out for a little while and you know get a cup of coffee and you know, I'm I'm as human as the next guy where I'm like, well, I, you know, I kind of had other things that I wanted to do, but you know, if I had raised if I had been brave enough to raise my hand, which frankly I never was and I wish I had been to say, I'm afraid and I need to connect with somebody, I sure would hope that somebody would say, sure, I'll do it. So anyway, I sat down with her for 45 minutes, and it was awesome, you know, and it definitely helped me stay sober. It it kept me really in the moment and outside of my tiny little mind. Um, So it definitely is very cool. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what about even – so that's kind of inside of the sober community, but, you know, what about in sort of the rest of our lives? And one thing I was thinking of was that, okay, so maybe we're powerless over a lot of scary things in the world and over alcohol, but, you know, service kind of gets us into action, which gives us power. And, Jean, you often talk about the locus of control being inside of yourself in your recovery.
0: And so how does service – empower you? Well, it, in all the ways that we've already talked about being motivated and responsible and accountable, those, you know, I feel that making the choice to be of service, that's where I'm powered. So um, I, I choose to give my service and, and that is where my power comes from, is from making that choice. But it really it strengthens my recovery, as we've said, and it, it's a mindset that spills over into other areas of my life. And again, I feel like I have the power to allow that, right? I have—I I, It's a choice. I have to consciously decide, oh, right, okay, I need to apply my, the lessons that I've learned here. So uh, the, I guess the first example that comes to mind is, is that uh, I have a parent who's, very very ill right now and in the um, end stages of Parkinson's and dementia, and um, just spending time with him is 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 service, right? There's mm-hmm. there's there's little conversation, there's there's little activity, but all I know is I can go and spend an hour and I made that hour better just by being there, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I did. Anyway, that's that was my only goal was just go and be kind. And and um, and when when he starts talking about um, something that doesn't make sense, I just go with it. If he's telling me that there's that there's um, you know balloons flying past the window, I say, oh, which one's your favorite color? You know, just just mm-hmm. making that choice to just go with it in kindness and not not argue and not say there's no balloons you know what are you seeing what are you doing
1: <laughs> don't be mm-hmm, crazy don't, mm-hmm. don't talk
0: like that you know what just just lean into it and go with it and and to i guess to be just really really present and really engaged is a choice that i make i think as someone who you know is an addict and and spent a long time in a certain kind of behavior i think my Gut instinct will always be to isolate and to stay inside myself. And so I have to choose to take that step. And knowing that I usually enjoy it and that it's usually good for me and that I will not only help someone but that I'll learn from it and that we'll both be stronger together, that makes it easy to make that choice. But I I suspect that it will always be, my gut instinct will always be to just hesitate, you know, just hang back just a little bit and and uh and I have to give myself that little like nudge from inside myself to go. Mhm.
2: Mhm. Yeah, that resonates with me too. Mhm.
1: Amanda, how about you? Um, well, <clears throat> I mean a couple things could come to mind. I mean, I don't this is just a goofy little thing, but I um, you know, you'll see posts about it and stuff too, you know, just saying hello to someone or giving someone a smile um, when you're walking down the street. Even something as little as that to me is, you know, is that's an act of service, um, making, you know, saying something nice to someone. Or um, this is, a, I don't know why this popped into my head, but I guess it's the part about ego and getting outside of yourself. Um, there's been a couple of instances where, you know, I'm just sitting there bored one day, On Facebook, and I see, you know, someone who I might not even know that well, um, who is, you know, I see their posts, you know, regularly in my feed, and you know, I I notice that something's off. Like they're not saying something, oh, this is wrong. I'm devastated. Something has happened. But you can just tell by the, you know, the what they're posting that something's off. And so a couple times, I don't know why, I've, I've sent them a private message and just said, you know, hey, are you okay? You know, I noticed this, and, you know, I know it's none of my business, but, you know, I just want to say, you know, if you're down, things will get better, you know, just something to cheer them up. And, and I've been right, and, you know, and they appreciate it, you know, just kind of like a, you know, a lending support through the, you know, through the interwebs. And mm-hmm. and it's just um, little things, and, it's, um, and I find that that type of stuff helps me because then, you know, well, two reasons, you know, people pay attention to you, but you're getting a, I don't know, I just feel more, you know, service, it's kind of like become a mindset for me, like I I feel um, more aware of other people and it keeps me, um, you know, out of my own head sometimes, like when I'm going through a hard time, you know, walking up to someone and saying, hey, how are you, and talking to them, you know, uh, about what's going on in their life kind of gets me outside of myself, so that's how service can benefit you know it definitely benefits me and um you know it's just it's it's just it's it can be little things and but i also find that you know when people ask me to do something i'm available you know my cousin okay. called me up and said hey i got a rugby game and you know um you know can you babysit you know my daughter and so i took you know i went to the game and babysat his daughter so that he could play you know, just little things being available to the people in my life, that's being of service, too.
2: So let's talk – that's a good example. I was I was recently um, re-listening to the episode that we did on perfectionism, and our guest on that episode was Lisa. And Lisa was talking about how part of her um, lifestyle when she was still actively drinking was to be um, – the, like the perfect den mother kind of thing so she volunteered for everything at her kid's school you know decorating for school dances and just every committee and she she sort of overcommitted herself in order to create this illusion of um you know being perfect which obviously mm-hmm. was problematic and now in sobriety she had really put the brakes on that um you know, and I guess it gets back a little bit, Jean, to what you said before is you know posing as the good girl versus um, now having humility you know, and, and the willingness to connect to people as a motivation. But, you know, Amanda, as you're making yourself available for people, how do you maintain a balance with, you know, potentially an old way of thinking of being sort of the big doer who's always, you know, kind of overdoing it?
1: Oh, well, that's a tough one, because I have gotten in, you know, <laughs> too too much, and, you know, because, well, um, you know, when you talked about willingness, um, you know, one thing I didn't mention is, you know, people said, are you willing to go to any lengths to be sober? So I, I was the one that I was, I did the chips in one meeting, I was a chairperson of another meeting, I did the raffle tickets in another meeting, I had, like, all these jobs, and they were really important to me, and they kept me. You know, like you said, it made me. I was committed to going. That's why they're called commitments. And I felt like, well, you know, I have to be there. Who else is going to do the, you know, the chips? And, um, but so I had stuff like that. And then there was there were other commitments that um I had, and you know, people because I was very outgoing, and I would w- welcome new people as they walked in the door. People would often ask for my number, and I would give it to them. And I and I was getting calls late at night and stuff like that. And so, I had to, um, I had, and I realized that it would, you know, actually, it was my sponsor who told me, you know, you know, you have to, you have to be, you know, she she didn't take on every single person that asked. Um, her to sponsor them because she said, I need to be available to, you know, a certain number of people. I can only spread myself so thin. So she was a good example to me. And so sometimes I would, um, you know, say someone, you know, asked for me to do something, I would connect them with someone else that, you know, might be a better fit for them just to balance it out a little bit because there there were some days where, you know, you know i'm at work i'm trying to do work and my phone's ringing off the hook and you know someone's going through a crisis and and it's actually really not fair to me to take on that necessarily where someone who maybe who wasn't working is going to be available during the day like i can't necessarily i'm in a meeting i'll call you back in an hour well that person's probably drunk by then you know they they you know they're if they're calling in crisis you know they they kind of need someone to be available and, I, and that's an exaggeration um but you know realizing that and you know um they do there's a reason why they say it's a selfish program you have to take care of yourself first and i found myself getting um stressed out and a little bit irritated at like the volume of calls that i was getting so i had to you know take a step back and that's hard to do because you want to help everybody but um, I also, that's ego. I had to put my ego down and yeah. say, you know, there's other people that can help, too. I can't save the world, you know, and, um, you know, I, I can only do what I can do, and I have to, I want to be really present for, you know, the people that I've connected with. So I have to, you know, it's, it's a fine balance, and there's times where it gets really, you know, it will ramp up, you know, just because you have, you know, people come and go, you you meet different people, people have different needs, so, you know, Sometimes it's a little out of control, but I, you know you have to really pay attention to yourself too. and if you find yourself being um, over committed, you know that can not be healthy too you know because that's that's that whole perfectionist perfectionism thing and then you're not really being I don't feel like you can be really genuine if you're you know because at that point you're you're starting to get irritated rather than it benefiting you and the other person. Well, and I think, you know,
2: you're kind of – this when you say watch the ego, there's a couple of things going on there. I mean, one is to – we have to check our motivations, right, to say, why am I doing this? Am I being, you know, a hero? Am I being – trying to get that gold star? Or, you know, am I being codependent? And that's where I think it's important to let – when we're working with other people, to let go of the outcomes, um.
1: and, oh, and some one. of
2: that some of that kind of uh, you know even seeing your description of you know your father watching balloons go by and you're just not fighting it like that's what's happening for him right now and you're not fighting it so it's mm-hmm. a similar kind of thing like if somebody calls in crisis like I can make myself available but you know, I have to understand about keeping myself sober and I can't get wrapped up in whether or not he or she then also stays sober. Like, you know, I could bring a newcomer to a recovery meeting and that's my service, but I can't get wrapped up in whether or not she keeps coming back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like letting go right. letting go of letting those go outcomes. Of
0: outcomes that that yeah, that is a really important point and if if our if we know what our goal is why we're trying to be of service so if if the goal is to help someone or to um, interact positively in a situation and you're at capacity so if someone says can you help me and you know you're at capacity there you have you don't have the time to help them then saying yes to them is not being of service. You're gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. set them up for failure because as Amanda said, you're saying yes to something you can't really do. So sometimes being of service, I think, is saying, you know what? I'm I'm not able to help you, but I'm I'm gonna give you a couple other suggestions. And I'm going to keep encouraging you to get the help you need and I'll support you in finding the help you need, but but it can't be me. 'Cause well, that, my dad's critical
2: so right now. I mean those those are two things, Jean. I mean, number 1 what you're talking about is being honest, right? And yeah. we talk about that mm-hmm. all the time on the show. It just seems to be this big core thing of getting and staying sober is being honest first with ourselves and then with other people because if I overcommit to you um then I'm not being honest, then I'm breeding resentment potentially. Right? And I'm not right. doing you any good and I'm not doing myself any good and that threatens my sobriety um but then also both you and amanda mentioned okay well i can't do this but let me give you a couple of phone numbers of other people who could help you out um i didn't understand that at first that like what do you mean i don't have to do everything in the whole world like i don't have to boil the ocean (laughs) and hold up the world myself like wait um that was news to me, honestly, to say, oh, wait, I, I can't do it. I, so, A, I'm empowered to say no, and B, but there's other resources. That was kind of a miraculous realization
0: for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to still, be, to still be engaged or um, interested in the situation, right? Like you said, not invested yeah. in the outcome, but to still say, um, I do care. And I am here. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that that is that that helps everyone too. So it's. Uh, I have a friend right now um, who uh, is just finding her way out of a relapse, and I really struggle on how to help her because I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help her. I don't. I don't know. It's totally out of my realm, and that's very mm-hmm. hard for me to say. I I would love to have all the answers. And I can kind of look at it and think, well, you should do this and you should do that, but that's not service, right? So
2: mm-hmm.
0: what I've just said to her is, you know, I, I have no clue, but I'm I'm not going anywhere while well, you figure it out. Like, you, I'm I'm on your team. I'm, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not not an expert, but you can count on me that I'm I'm here. I'm cheering for you, and I'm I'm on your side. And um, so you don't have to do everything to really help, you know. Yeah, and
2: and that's a big topic. I think we have that coming up on the schedule in, in the next several weeks too. Of how, how to be, how to show up for somebody um, who's struggling with getting sober. That's a really important and, and tricky one to navigate. I'm glad you brought it up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Another example that I thought of, and and I don't know, Mandy, if you want to take a swing at this one, but but I thought of. Um, When we know that we have to go to, say, a family birthday or a holiday party or, you know, some sort of social event that we feel like we have to go to, and we do say on this show that we are empowered to say no, we don't have to feel like we have to do everything, but we know we're going to be there and we're around triggery family members, we're around alcohol and drinking, Um, we talk about being of service as a way of reducing our stress and also staying sober at family events. Um, You know, helping with the dishes or the children at the event or something, you know, can keep us moving and safe around all that drinking. Um, Mandy, have you had any opportunities to practice that? I have definitely had opportunities to practice that. Um, Actually, just, like, this summer kind of was the huge awakening for me that I didn't have to, like, sit out and be in my pity party because everybody else is drinking or talking about drinking or just being, I don't know, triggers, I guess, for me. Like, I learned that I can be of service outside of a recovery program or outside of recovery in general, just being an example of what sobriety has done for me. And, yeah, being able to, like, just help with the kids or help with cooking or just anything that is needed help with, I guess. Like learning how to make myself, or I guess being of service the way that I can be of service, and then I'm not isolating or being the outsider. I'm a part of, and I feel a part of, and everybody else feels like I'm a part of, so it's not like tense chaos I guess it was
0: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah this summer has definitely been that whole subject for me I guess I love that and I mean both you and Jean have mentioned this you know craving to isolate and I know that I share that as well and what I'm coming to find out is that what I actually c- craved was connection and being a part of um, and that's that's been something interesting to realize um, and the only way to really do it is to actually take action um, you have to do not talk about it and sort of you know some of the activities that you mentioned I mean that's that's a way of kind of getting yourself in motion to be a part of and then it just sort of happens um and people respond and things start happening. But it, it's not a passive then we if we stay passive, we stay isolated. Um and then we don't move forward. But it you know it sounds like you've sort of had a lot of momentum this summer around all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Amanda, what about you this idea of being a part of you know in in the larger world, not just our recovery community
1: yeah I mean it's um i i guess I've, i' i I'm a joiner I always have been a little bit, but it's it's different though um I, you know, it is it is different, and I and I do. It makes me feel good when I'm able to help out and do different things. And I do do different things. I was a joiner in the sense of <laughs> I would do the dishes, but I certainly wasn't going to watch your kids because you didn't want me to. <laughs> but you know, um, I um, I don't know. I I I I enjoy engaging with people, and 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 I do. I like being I I like being a part of and Um, you know, just volunteering to help out—it's just, um, it's it's the best feeling, and you know, and I and I do the same thing though. I I have to be really careful about taking too much on. You know, I do, I've, um, I I can I go to extremes in everything that I do. So I'll get you know really hyped up, and I'll overcommit to things, and then I have to kind of reel things back a little bit, but. Um and and I think I'm finally learning balance. Um uh I just actually realized that um the next show that I'm on is my 4 year anniversary. So it took me 4 oh. years oh. To, to to kind of well I am not there yet well, it's one day at a time, but I mean it's it's, time it's time. um it, but just you know, it's taken me that long to start to even get an inkling about balance, but you know, I I do i oh, my I really enjoy um just helping out with anything you know just being an active a, a part of any event i go to where really if anything i was going to do before it was tending the bar you know i just my priorities are com- completely different um i i just um i don't know i just i i just i like being a part of the whole event that's going on and when, you know, whatever well, it is. I do the same thing outside of recovery, just making people feel comfortable. Because I think everyone, I guess I always felt so awkward. That's just such a huge thing to me, like being in a place where people just make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Um. And and a lot of
2: people tell us, a lot of people, alcoholics and addicts tell us, that they struggle with feeling that otherness. Um. A lot of stories begin by I always felt different, you know, and then later picked up drinking to try to fit in. Um, so this is just an, a way of alleviating some of that, too. I don't know if that's what you were getting at, but it, 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 there's, there's shades of that. But I know we've heard yeah. on this
1: show before.
2: Yeah. I I also kind of feel like I'd be remiss. If I didn't thank our listeners at this juncture, um, because I know for my part, Amanda and Jean, being with you two every Sunday and being with our listeners, whoever you are and wherever you are, um, you keep me sober every Sunday. I, I feel mm-hmm. like this is really important service. The bubble wow. hour is a Critical part of my um, recovery program, and I learn so much every single time we're on this show from Amanda and Jean, and also Mandy and all of our other guests that we've that we've had on, um, and even you know when we do get comments and, and emails from listeners, it's just we get a little bit of feedback on that. But even if we don't. It, it helps me. So I just
0: I feel like I have to say thank you for the mm-hmm. opportunity
2: to be of service and be here every Sunday.
0: This is Jean. I feel exactly the same way and I'm I'm really grateful that I'm involved in this project at this time in my life because had I done something like this, well obviously I wouldn't be on a recovery podcast if I wasn't in recovery, but I I just I come on air every night knowing that I'm not an expert. I don't know more than anybody else. The only difference between any of us and everyone listening is just that, you know, that we happen to be the ones doing this. But you could take any three listeners and put them on air and have a fantastic show every night. It's just, we just happen to be in the right place at the right time to be part of this project, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But... It, it's very humbling to me, and I, I remember that every single time that that um, I'm here to tell my truth. I'm here to be vulnerable and share my and share my story. But that there's nothing about my story or my experience that's any different from anybody else, and that we all have something to say and all have something to teach each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that to me, that it really does. It changes everything, that knowledge. And that, to me, that's the heart of service, is just getting down to that core of what what joins us all and what makes us all the same. And you can tell when when you're talking to someone who doesn't have that, who's coming from that place of superiority or arrogance or maybe it's fear and isolation, you can just, and it makes me sad because I think they're missing out on the joy of this connection Mm -hmm. that comes Mm -hmm. from really, Understanding that, as Amanda told me on the first night, remember to shut up and listen. (laughs) 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 Right, Amanda? (laughs) (laughs) Good advice. (laughs) Well, there's that honesty. I hope I said it nicely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So those were your exact words, but your tone was nice. Oh, well, I'm nothing if not direct, <laughs> right? Oh, I so, love you, Amanda. Amanda, you've been you've
2: been a part of the Bubble Hour um, for longer than Jean and I have been. Is there? Um, do you have any kind of comments on this show as a as a service opportunity?
1: yeah i i mean i I have to echo both of you and thank our listeners it um it's just it's um it's you know the, everyone who everyone is a part of the show you know we wouldn't be here if there weren't people listening and you know every once in a while you know just you know we get little comments here and there that we're helping someone and just one person is our goal. And um and I, yeah and it's funny because I never intended I kind of tried to stay away from being on the show because I was already pretty committed to a lot of things like I said I think when I first got on as part of when I um had to start balancing some things but um I was just going to be the call screener but and then I ended up, you know, being one of the, you know, Ellie kept pushing me and saying, "You're going to host a show," and I'm like, "Okay, I'll, I'll give back to <laughs> you on that." <laughs> and I didn't say no. I just said, "I'm not ready for that because I'm not, I'm not smooth. I'm not um, an eloquent speaker. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm none of those things. I'm just me." And then it but i think about that and every guest that comes on here they're like oh i don't know if my story is good enough and it's like your sto- anyone's story is good enough because yeah. somebody is going to relate to you because you ha- it's your story and and someone else has been has walked in your shoes you know someone or is is walking in your shoes so no matter you know that's the beauty of the show too no matter what you say someone is going to identify you know because there's all different types of people out there listening and there's um you know, there's, you know, lots of people that need help. And I've actually gotten feedback from some of my normie friends, for lack of a better term, you know, who just listen because they're curious as to what what is this thing that you do. And they're like, wow, I've actually had a couple of people who are, you know, not, you know, don't have, have are not alcoholics or, you know, don't have addiction say, you know, that show really helped me. Because, you know, recovery mm-hmm. is really about living a better life And so like for me This has been a great opportunity To me Like it, it keeps me committed It keeps me thinking About my recovery too Like because to me mm-hmm. It's not just about getting sober It's about recovering and, and getting better And handling life better And wow I've had so many ups and downs Over the years And you know Coming on the show Sometimes I am You know I you know When we talked about I'm a joiner But and, and I, I forget That I do you know, when I'm upset, I do kind of like to isolate, but I don't have a choice. Once a week, you know, and and I shouldn't say that I have a choice, but I, you know, I'm committed to being on the show. And so if I'm if I'm not feeling good, I'm going to come on here and I'm going to do, you know, the best that I can to help someone. And by the time I get off the show, I always feel better. Always. And that's what yeah. Always. And that's what they say about going to meetings too. You know, like you know, if you're if you don't feel like going to a meeting, then you better get to the meeting because you're going to, and I and I can't think of any time that I didn't leave feeling better than when I went.
2: Well, and that emphasizes um, what we talk about all the time on the show, which is the importance of building a recovery community, however you do that, um, so that you are in dialogue with other people in recovery. Um, in some sort of active exchange of, you know, to coin a phrase, experience, strength, and hope um, about how to do this and how to connect. So I, th- I think that's a great point. So we're kind of, we're, we're here at the hour. Once again, an hour has, has flown by, and I have to say the episode has really inspired me to get moving. So, you yeah. know, recapping some of the things that we've discussed, we've, we've talked about how Helping others actually helps me, um, helps me stay sober and live a better life. That the it, it, service gives me a willingness to stay sober, and, you know, com- commitments keep us coming back. Um, one way to be of service is showing up where people are, just identifying those common bonds, um, carrying the message to others, showing up to be accountable. That We have opportunities to apply the lessons of recovery in real life, um, for example, by being, by being present and really making that choice to connect with other people. Um, when we do show up for others and make ourselves available, we have to just always make sure we're watching the old motivation so the ego isn't um, rearing its head here, but you know, let go of the outcomes and just be honest and authentic. Um, You know, remember to use other people in your community as well to, you know, help you provide service. Um, I love what Mandy said about, you know, I don't have to be triggered or or bummed out about not being drinking, you know, when I'm out in the the real world, quote, unquote. You know, I can, by being of service, I can be a part of and, you know, not isolating. Um, We all have value and something to offer no matter what our experiences are. So if we show up, we, we have something that we can do to help. And that all of this is helping us to live a better life and to stay sober. So those were some of the, the highlights that we talked about. And so just to close out, why don't we go around and each
1: share sort of
2: our main takeaway from tonight's episode. So,
1: Amanda, let's start with you. Well I guess um my my uh takeaway and advice to the listeners just from what everyone has said is get involved in service in some way, shape or form. Um it will help you. It um it's really it's there's really no better feeling. All right. It works. Uh Gene, how about you?
0: Um I think the the one new idea I, I heard lots of reinforcements of of positive things. And one new idea that just kind of came to me through what all of you were saying was just a reminder that um, we can be of service by asking someone for help and allowing them mm-hmm. to be of service to us. So we don't always have to get caught up in always giving, giving, giving. We have to remember that allowing others to help us uh, is, is an act of service, too. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. And Mandy, you get the
2: last word here as our guest. Okay, well, yeah, um service is like the foundation of my sobriety, I think. And that's all I like what Jean said, and I like what Amanda said too <clears throat> about being you know, vulnerable enough, I guess, to reach out and let someone else be of service to you too. And as a guest and as a listener of this show, I just need to thank you guys for your service because sometimes, I can't get to a meeting or I'm traveling and I don't know where to go or whatever and I can come I can listen to a bubble hour episode or I can listen in when it's whenever. Like I'm just really, really grateful that I have this because it it's a very big part of my sobriety too. So thank you guys.
0: Aw, thanks, Mandy. Thank you. Aww, really thank appreciate
2: Mandy. it. And thank you for being here, Mandy. And as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct our listeners to our parent organization, shiningstrong.org. There, you will find links to all of our resources, including The Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now. And Unpickled, right, Jean? I think we've got Unpickled on there now.
0: Um, I hope so, yeah.
2: Which, yeah, which is your blog. I've got to type that in there in the closing notes. On and links to some of our other initiatives around recovery advocacy. And if you'd like to go directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that is thebubblehour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly from the website, or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. We thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you have a great evening. Thank you. Good Good night.
0: Good night, everybody.